0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. Now, about a year ago, I interviewed Matt Hewitt, uh, who at the time was running pro snooker blog and was just about to start work for the WPBSA as their media officer. So, a year on, we caught up uh, to see what he'd been up to, what's been going on, and what is ahead at the WPBSA. Well, Matt, last time we spoke, you'd literally just been announced as WPBSA media officer. It wasn't quite clear then exactly what your, your duties were. So just tell us about the year that's gone by and, and how it's gone for you.
1: Hi, Dave. Yeah, uh, it's gone so quickly. I can't believe it's over a year ago since um, I, I, I joined the dark side, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's um, obviously my title is WPBSA media officer, um, but I'm responsible for the website Um And the other media that the WPBSA are putting out, I think the main thing to remember is that there is a key difference between the WPBSA and World Snooker, which I think even now is still lost a bit to the, um, even to some within the game to be honest. Yeah, because it
0: it always used to be that the WPBSA was the governing body and that was it, but obviously as you say now it has been separated, just explain what the separation is. Well, in respect to uh, World Snooker, the,
1: the body that perhaps most people recognise, uh, they're obviously the commercial arm um, of the outfit, so their responsibility to put the tournaments on, sell the tickets, promote the players. That, that side, they're the side that um, the general public will perhaps associate. Mm-hmm. Um, the WPBSA, on the other hand, is the sort of world-governing body, not just for snooker, but for billiards as well. Um, and we're responsible for the players, the main top players, but also sports development and the, the grassroots side of the game from the ladies' game, the disability side,
0: um, the amateur game in England. old all falls under our remit. Yeah, they're all, they're all sort of constituent parts of the sport. They're sort of not the glamour parts, I guess, because the glamour parts are the, the professional game on television. But it's all part of the same story, isn't it? And, with that, you know, you need, you need it all. So let's just go through some of them. It's the WPBSA, the B stands for Billiards, of course, um, the forerunner of snooker, Rex Williams once told me there's no such thing as a snooker table So they're all billiard tables um, We won't argue that point right now But billiards, of course, is never going to be as, as big as snooker But uh, it's important to keep the traditions going And as I say, it's part of the WPBSA, that the B is for billiards Absolutely
1: um, We recently had this year's World Championships at the Novice Snooker Centre in Leeds And it was a great success Uh, For the first time ever, we ran a 100-up format, Mm. in addition to the main-timed format. Both were streamed, well, the latter stages of both were streamed via YouTube, which was very successful. We had uh, your very own Clive Everton came over to do the commentary, uh, and it was very well-received, the track was very good, and it's something that we'd hope to do again in the future. Um, It's going to continue, obviously the new season will kick off. Um, And it's something that, over the last few years, Perhaps it's slightly out of the public eye, but it, the billiards tour has developed into a sustainable, strong tour which receives great, great entries in terms of uh, players. Um, as I say, perhaps surprisingly to snooker fans, it's it's really doing very well at the moment.
0: I suppose you have to be realistic, don't you? And you know, it's never going to be like snooker 19 too much on TV a year. It has to. You have to find the, the sort of right level. And as you say, the streaming I think was significant because that several thousand people watched that. And it may be something that people would stumble across on YouTube and maybe possibly sort of quite like. Yeah,
1: it's, I mean, even myself, I, it's no secret that I'm not from a billiards background, I'm a snooker fan first and foremost, but it was interesting for me to watch the streaming and particularly, who better, to do it, the, the commentators yes. in Clive mm-hmm. and to um, explain the game, the principles of the game and the um, yeah, the, the nuances that... It, but once you understand them um, you realise just how skilled those players are
0: mm. let's talk about the women's game um, that recently had the, the women's masters that Rianne Evans won again, you know it's about being realistic, the women's game because there isn't the strength in numbers is not going to rival the men's game in terms of popularity but everyone's doing their best to try and promote it as much as they can yeah and I think it's come a long way in the,
1: over the last couple of years with the support of the WPBSA from the start of from December 2015, it was announced that the WPBSA were going to play a stronger role um, and provide greater assistance to the um, World Ladies Tour. Um, of, part of that is myself. I've been to all of the events over the last 12 months. It's been interesting for me to meet the key personalities, see the, um, the, the players in action and to hopefully put the, um, the spot on the map.
0: And the World Championship the Women's Challenge is going to Singapore in March, which is a sort of different direction.
1: Yes, um, it'll be a different direction for me. Absolutely. <laughs> you're going there. Absolutely. Um, yes, as you were previously, well, perhaps go on to this, but perhaps the um, before I'd taken this job, i have never left the UK, whereas mm. now I've uh, been globe tro- trotting a bit, but not to the extent of Singapore. <laughs> that would be very interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, as far as the sport is concerned... Um, it's a new location, we're going to have a, a very glamorous uh, pre-reception party at the Marina Bay Sands Hotel. Very nice. It's very mm. uh, spectacular, so that should be mm. very good. Um, and then, yes, the tournament lasts for a week. Um, Rian Evans, sure,
0: will be there to see if she can make it title number 12. mm um, yeah, she, I mean, I feel a bit sorry for Rianne in a way. I mean, it's obviously she's not not sorry that she's winning all these world titles, but it's where she goes from there. She has tried to. I mean, it's not. We should say it's not a men's tour, the, the professional tour. It's a professional tour. Women have played on it before. In fact, Rianne's played on it before. But you almost feel like, apart from just keep on winning, she can't actually do any more in the women's game. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the money isn't great, is it, at the moment? I mean, it's going up a bit, but it's not. It's not sort of necessarily a great living. So it's hard to see. Where she goes she's almost in limbo she's like queen of her sport not maybe not quite at the level required though to be a professional it's a difficult one there's there's no easy answer mm. the
1: only um the only thing we can do is to continue to grow the game and you know, by the time that we are the, the prize money is up to a stronger level then she will still be around to benefit from that um she as you say, she's set every record. She's won more world titles than anybody else, more UK titles than anybody else. She's been number one for a long time. She will be back at Ponds Falls this year to have another crack. Obviously, she pushed Ken Doherty close two yeah. years ago, ten 8 um, It'll be interesting to see what she can do again.
0: I guess the important thing for all these things, the women's game as well, is participation at the grassroots and encouraging. Because I mean, it, it, traditionally in Britain, snooker clubs go back maybe 30 years they're not the sort of places you would have taken your daughter a lot of them not the sort of places you'd have taken your son frankly um, and it's getting that um, sort of fixed idea people have oh no yeah, I wouldn't let my daughter go to the Snoop Club and actually maybe explain to them that times have changed yeah
1: it's really encouraging because we did have uh, at the last event the Masters last weekend in Derby we had 8 entries into the <coughs> under 21 competition which is good improvement on what we've had recently mm. um, obviously we want that number to keep growing but um, there are young young girls, young women, who are interested in the game and who are encouraged by the the, uh, the events that we are putting on. All we can do um, for our new initiatives, which uh, we'll come on to later, I'm sure, is to help to provide the environment and the facilities to allow these to allow women, disabled players, um, and all amateurs to enjoy the game of snooker.
0: Yeah, well, you mentioned the disability snooker, which I know has been a big thing for, for Jason Ferguson, the chairman. Uh, just explain what's been happening with that. There's been quite a few events already. Yeah, we, uh, we
1: were, the WDBS, World Disability Billiards and Snooker, set up in the summer of 2015. Since then, there's been events in Gloucester, Manchester, Woking, Hull, my, my home city, yeah. <laughs> get that one in. Um, and, city of culture. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they've all gone very well, uh, in particular... Gloucester from 2015 to 2016, the entries have doubled. Uh, we've had pieces on uh, the BBC on the main coverage during the uh, coverage of the UK Championship recently. But those events have been so much fun to attend. I've been to them all so far. And the, there's just a special atmosphere about those events, the people um, involved, there's some great people involved. Uh, some great players involved Um, we spoke about the billiards earlier Raja Subramanian Mm. Um, he's a player who has won our Gloucester event in his category for two years in a row but he also competed in the World Billiards Championship one of the things that has really come out of the disability side is that we've seen players not only become players but become role models Mm. they've started to venture into the world of coaching, we've had um, a couple of guys, Steve Packer and Mark Parsons in the Q Zone here at the Masters this week Um, we've had players becoming referees, players helping at other events in different categories. So there's a real community growing there.
0: Just you explain how it works though? Because obviously disability is quite a broad term and people have dif- different disabilities. So I guess there's lots of different categories are there.
1: Yeah, there's a, very, um, there's a very big classification system. It's <coughs> approximately 40 uh, classification mm-hmm. profiles. But we break these down into eight groups, which loosely termed are physical disabilities, learning disabilities and sensory disabilities so far we've had events um, for physical disabilities then we've had events for sensory disabilities separately but we're looking
0: into um, mixing and matching a bit more and just seeing what works at the moment Mm. because it's important because when Jason came on the podcast he spoke a lot about the Olympics but of course there's also the Paralympics and sports governing bodies have to be seen to be making an effort for disabled athletes as well so it all ties into the, I guess, the same sort of end goal in a way.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people. I didn't realise this before I became involved, but the uh, snooker is a founding sport of the Paralympics, yeah. um, and it remained there until 1988. Yeah. So um, we've got pedigree there, and it's you know what we will be back one day. It's just going to take time to. Obviously, we have the the events that have been successful, but we just need a bit more support, perhaps, um, commercially, to take it to the next level, which we're currently working on.
0: Sure. Well, another important part of grassroots is coaching. Um, What can you tell us about the... the, the, There's been a new coaching programme launched. Yeah, um, so
1: obviously for the last few years we've had the um, the coaching programmes that we've got. um, Head of Coaching, Chris Lovell's played a great part in that. Um, But to bring us into line with other sports, we're now moving to an accredited coaching scheme uh, with the assistance of First for Sport. The aim of this is that it's not just a case of potential coaches completing a course... Qualifying, but going forward, um, further announcement, uh, further announcement will come in due course. But it's more about having external bodies involved, and it's more about a structured process that will bring us into line with other sports, and um, it, it will it will just provide a more structured um, coaching setup in this country and, and beyond in the world.
0: It Seems to me with a lot of these things. It's there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes that people kind of don't see. Um, Obviously, you're, you're involved in that. Maybe you can tell us a bit about Jason and his work ethic, which seems very strong. I mean, he always seems to be travelling somewhere, meeting somebody, trying to do the groundwork for a lot of these things. Um, a lot of it comes from, I guess, personal introductions and, and meeting people, taking the time to sit down and then formulate all the plans, which he seems to enjoy doing.
1: Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, it's. Uh, I'll... His air miles must be spectacular. <laughs> um, he's in one country from one day to the next. The, the work he puts in is absolutely incredible. Um, you only see a snapshot of that otherwise on the tour, but he's he's flying to China, to Switzerland, to Rome. to he, He's been everywhere, mm. and um, I couldn't speak highly enough of the work that he puts in, not just because he's my boss. But, <laughs> <laughs> yes. but um, yeah, he... Um, obviously, he's very good at that. He's very... Um, he, He he loves the sport more than anyone I know, Um, even more than myself, dare I say it, (laughs) which is very unusual. (laughs) But um, Yeah, he's played an incredible role in the development of the sport and we we have targets as to where we want the sport to be and if anyone can do it, he can do it.
0: One thing that obviously helps is funding for Grassroots Um, and there's been a new, tell us about this new English partnership that's been launched. The English
1: Partnership for Snooker and Billiards is an umbrella organisation which was formed earlier last year and it brings together the key stakeholders from the bodies that we've spoken about already so the ladies game, the disability side, the billiards side, the English amateur side and it's all about just making sure that their voices are heard and effectively working towards the goal of increased participation, increased uh, improved facilities, uh, in this country, um, obviously, at the moment we have a world, st- we have a main tour full of players, and a number of English players are on there. But
0: in twenty years' time, we need to make sure that there are more players on there. Mm. Um. One, of, one of the problems seems to me is that a lot of the funding. I mean, British sport is well funded, but it's, it's targeted at, at Olympic sports because the, the end goal seems to be medals, and that's worked. So, you know, we looked at Rio, obviously London twenty twelve. Snoop is not in the Olympics, so does it suffer do you think because of that and also because you know because of various people's prejudice a lot of people don't see it as a sport yeah jason would be the first to tell you that we are at a distinct disadvantage
1: Mm. compared to other sports um we don't get (coughs) the funding that they do um and it's about time we got our fair share um as part of this process we have recently um prepared proposals to sport england for pro- we've submitted a bid for funding for projects, such as for the other 55s, for women players, for disability players, and we're optimistic that this will um, be the first
0: step towards getting our first share of the, uh, of the of the pot. It seems like a long process, though. I mean, it, it, I'd like I say, you have to lay all the groundwork and, and, and do all the work. I mean, how hopeful are you that this this funding will actually come through?
1: Absolutely. Well, we've put the groundwork in over the last two or three years. Now we've formed the English partnership, mm. it's still obviously we're still working working on it and putting the, the procedures in place um, part of that is the national governing body status that's historically has been part of the English Amateur Association we're currently in the process of hoping, hopefully transferring this to the EPSB itself which will again allow us to um, represent all of the interested stakeholders in the sport in this country we were aware of the challenges that exist and that are there in front of us but Regardless of the um, the response that we received from Sport England to this particular bid, uh, we're optimistic that we've put the the procedures in place, that the right people are now involved, and that we will get there.
0: Okay. Well, in terms of the Olympics, um, the, we've got the World Games coming up in Poland, and that's it's basically it's called sort of the Olympics for sports, not in the Olympics. Exactly. There's all sorts of there's all sorts of things in there. I always remember dragon boat racing I saw once list, listed and korfball and all these sort of things, but Q Sports are in there. I guess that's... an. Imp- I mean, it's been, they've been in there for, for some time, actually. I think Nigel Bond won a gold. Gerald Green won a gold. Um, and they sort of got their little time on the podium. I remember Nigel saying he, they stood up and they played the National Anthem. But I guess it's a sort of showcase, isn't it, to, to show people that actually, you know, these, these are really popular sports. Yeah, it's a crucial... Um, <clears throat> it's crucial
1: that as a sport we are involved in these multi uh, multi-sport games. Uh, the first time snooker was involved was in 2001, not just snooker but also um, pool and, um, and Billiards, Caron Billiards um, and it's an absolutely vital showcase. It's, it's our time to shine and it will be really interesting to see um, what we can do. I'll hopefully we're going to the event and it will be interesting to see what um, how we are received um, but it will be fantastic to see us take our stage, uh, place on the stage, and it's a key part of hopefully one day making it back to the, well, making it to the Olympics and back to the Paralympics.
0: That first one in 2001, uh, Laurie Annandale, who's one of the best referees uh, for a long time, he went out there to officiate, and because uh, a couple of the snooker players had withdrawn, he ended up playing in it. Uh, I mean, Laurie, Laurie, was part of Stephen Hendry in sort of Scottish amateur events, so he was a good player in his day, but he wasn't expecting to. Uh, to end up competing, but I think it's become a little bit more sort of professional since then, and like you say, it's important to just showcase the sport, and this, I guess, comes down to a lot of people, I mean, Ronnie O'Sullivan said it, would say that snooker doesn't need to be in the Olympics. You know, we've got the World Championship, that is the the pinnacle, nothing's going to beat it. I guess the counter-argument to that is, though, if you're in the Olympics, it is a worldwide showcase for the sport and could only attract more interest. Yeah,
1: absolutely, and it's a difficult... Obviously, it's not a snooker where we have this debate. Golf, tennis, people will say oh, debate whether they should be in the Olympics. But certainly, if they're in the Olympics, there's no reason why snooker shouldn't be. Mm. It's, um, it's it's not about picking other sports, but um, the participation levels that we have, the viewing figures that we have, um, there's no reason why we should not be in there. Mm. It's just a case of putting the the, the procedure, the the basis there. Um, So that we can make a structured bid. Um, We recently submitted a bid for the upcoming 2020 Games. Um, We came very close. But hopefully with what we're doing now with the grassroots uh, sport development initiatives that we have, hopefully we'll go one better in the future.
0: Yeah, it's a great shame I think that that all this wasn't done years ago because obviously um, host countries can uh, basically duck their own sports into the Olympics and they get two choices, don't they? And, you know, we look at Beijing... Uh, where Ch- China's such a big snooker country, and then obviously London, you know, British sport and all that. Unfortunately, those chances were missed, but hopefully in the future things will change. So let's talk a-, a bit about you, Matt, because uh, mm. as you say, when you-, when you took this job, you'd never been abroad. Now you're sort of basically snooker's Michael Palin. You're, you're <laughs> travelling everywhere. I mean, the first, I think the first one you went to was Gdynia. So what was that like as an experience?
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed it, actually. It's, it was quite a strange experience because being from Hull myself, which is quite... a uh, a port Town um, mm. Godinia was actually very similar so it was right. a bit of a home from home to be honest mm. but um, yeah, I really enjoyed it um, and since then I've been to uh, a stop in Dublin and then obviously uh, the Poland's Cla- Poland Classic last year in Germany in first mm. um, which was a lot hotter than Gdynia, I can tell you that mm. <laughs> but um, yeah it's been an amazing experience um, it, it's hard to think a couple of years ago I would never have imagined that I would have done half the things I would have done now mm. but It's only the beginning as well.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, you you obviously started coming to Snooger as a spectator. You actually paid your own money, unbelievably, to to buy tickets. Then you sort of came into the media room as a a blogger. Now you're coming to tournaments as an official. Um, Quite a meteoric rise, really. Yeah. I do have to to pinch myself
1: sometimes. It's very bizarre. Chairman
0: this time next year,
1: the way it's going. Don't tell Jesson that. (laughs) Um, No, it's very. it is ridiculous, really, to be honest, to think of it. When uh, I think of coming to the Crucible for the first time in 2005, stood outside at um stage door waiting for Ken Doherty, who was one of my heroes growing up, looking to get his autograph, and then um, this week sat around a table having meetings with him. It's, mm. it, it's a very... Um, uh, as I say, I do have to pinch myself, but I like to think that enthusiasm breeds interest and is, is infectious, really, and... Um, without wanting to blow me on trumpet I think I work hard and. Um, oh
0: blow it no one else will blow your own trumpet that's true Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah
1: um, I like to think i worked hard and you know, I, hopefully this, this is just the beginning I'm um, just at the start of
0: a long uh, a long journey here with the WPBSO but uh, do you have to be careful I mean you, you're never one on Twitter to sort of mouth off about things but do you, have, you, you have to you're now being employed by so do you have to sort of be a bit careful in terms of giving opinions and that sort of thing
1: yeah, yeah, I think that's natural. Mm. Um I mean nobody everyone has been brilliant with me, nobody said, Don't say this, don't mm. say that. It's not really been like that, but just it's almost self filtering. Yeah. Myself, I'm aware, as you say beforehand, I was never the most controversial of bloggers. Mm. And um obviously that's not going, going to change no. now. But um I I've not found that to be a problem. It's I think the thing that is really interesting about this world is that most people would assume that the main tour, obviously being the main tour, is the most um, challenging part perhaps because of the what is at stake for the players. Mm-hmm. But in many ways I've been doing that for 10 years already so that is mm-hmm. the easiest part. The real interesting challenge is uh, these, the, the sport development projects that we're doing and I've learned so much over the last year. And... Um, he's only going to, going to get better in the future.
0: Do you miss the old blog, though, doing, doing the old blog? I mean, I know you do it in a different way now, but yeah. so do you miss, the, I guess, the independence that you had?
1: Not as much as I thought I would right. have done, perhaps, because I think the super landscape has changed. Mm. Five or six years ago, there were a lot more politics in the sport. Um, <laughs> That's one <laughs> way of <to> putting it. Yes. Understatement of the year. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, seven or eight years ago, perhaps. Well, <laughs> probably more accurate, but... Um, I feel I was very lucky, and it was it was not so much it was not something that was planned, but I set up my blog at the same time as you, a couple yeah. of years after yourself. But at one of the most interesting periods in the sports history, the growth that we have seen, the changes that we have seen, we've moved from you know, six or seven events a year to several events. We've had a ranking list change to a rolling ranking list, money list, uh, flat one to eight draws. The, the changes that we've had have been um, groundbreaking to the sport, and to be blogging as an independent blogger during that time was fantastic, but perhaps now the the, the call for that isn't there mm. um, I, I feel the the blogging landscape has changed a little bit perhaps it's, it seems to have settled down the tour obviously things are still going to change this year, we've got the um, the Home Nations which has returned, which has been a great success um, but th- perhaps the, the, the most radical changes that have been brought in have have been and gone now. And
0: yeah. But also, I mean, I think back to when I used to do my blog, you know, you would have like three weeks between tournaments to sort of think of things to say, there's not time now really. One tournament finishes, that's it, you move on to the next one. There's no time to sort of reflect on, on anything. And I'm not sure there's, there's the hours in the day really to, to, to uh, sort of maintain a, a blog to the level that we used to. I remember, for example, at the qualifiers back in Pontins, you would have the, the
1: I do the Bahrain Championship qualifiers. And I would mm. write not just daily updates, but session <laughs> updates. I had so much time on my hands, I would yeah. write three updates, like every, every, ma- every match, every score. And now it, you can't even get a tournament preview. <laughs> it's it's challenging, but it's all positive in a good way.
0: Yeah, the rankings, of course, is something that you keep on on top of, and there's a lot of races um, that we need to know about. Uh, the, the main one, I guess, for most people would be the, the Crucible, because it obviously, it's such a, a massive difference being in the top sixteen and, and not being in the top sixteen. But there are others as well. Tour survival is, is, is a big one. I wanted to mention Ken Docherty, um, mm. who's been a pro since 89 eighty um, nine, eighty nine
1: ninety. Uh, he's in trouble. Definitely, yeah. And I don't like, as I say, as mm. I said earlier on, he was one of my heroes growing up. Yeah. So I don't say that lightly. But just to explain how the tour survival works, perhaps it's not the most um, popular, it's not the most publicised system. But the top sixty four all stay on the same, on the main tour for a further year on a one year card. This year, it's, a bit, it's changed up a little bit. Previously, eight tour cards were allocated on the basis of the European Order of Merit. This year, with the European tour no longer in existence, those places will go to the top eight players on a one-year ranking list, not already within the 64. So getting yeah. out of the way, <laughs> it's the two key methods by which players can stay on tour. And at the moment, Ken is outside of where he needs to be on both lists. So it's not sensationalist. He is he's very much at risk. That's
0: not to say that can't change. However, mm. this is not your area, but there's also there are these wildcard. Uh, I mean, Steve Davies had one. James Watson, I think Ken would be a pretty outstanding candidate for one. I know you can't sort of say the way, but it, that could be an option as well.
1: Yeah, no, no reason why not. Mm. Um, as you say, it's not not my
0: department, but um, as a world champion, you would have a, a strong claim, I would imagine. Yeah. The race to the World Grand Prix, I mean that's sort of complicated by Germany that's coming up because literally Germany finishes on the Sunday and that starts on the Monday so there could be someone who wins the German Masters that gets into that.
1: Yeah, uh, it's going to be a tight turnaround for somebody there perhaps but it's the final event, just to explain, the World Grand Prix qualifying list is based upon a one-year system, so all points earned from the start of this season in Riga up to the conclusion of the German Masters, Um all- prize money rather, will count towards uh, qualification with the top 32 making it it's interesting because the field at the moment as it stands is looking very strong um, of the top 20 only one of those players Martin Gould is currently set to miss out although he is the defending champion in Germany and will be looking to um, break back into that bracket what's also interesting is that we've got a few of the players such as Yu De Lu, Yang Zhu Yu, Yu Long, um, so the young Chinese talent that are beginning to emerge who OK, on the main ranking list, they a little bit further down, but on the one-year list, they're right up there.
0: Mm. We've also got Shootout, which is now a ranking event, and regardless of the rights or wrongs of that, which has been debated on this podcast, and I swear, it's a chance for someone there, possibly, to get to the Crucible. I mean, 32,000 to the winner. You know, that's, that could be a big leap. If you're sort of 2021 20, in the world, a Dave Gilbert, someone like that, mm. that could get you to Sheffield.
1: Yeah, definitely. Look at Robin Hull last year, mm. had he... Had it been a ranking event then, then he would have been uh, boosted significantly up the rankings. It's a real chance for somebody. I think I'm right in saying that nobody inside the top 16 has won the shootout yeah, yet. Yeah. It uh, could be a real opportunity for someone to make a mark regardless yeah. of the
0: rights and wrongs. Mm. Let's just go back to your role then at the WP, because uh, I mean, I briefly was was. Worked for them many years ago. I don't talk about it much, but um, and it, when I, whenever I went to meetings, then they were always dominated by politics. So the thing that you were supposed to be discussing, you weren't, because something had happened and something in the paper, or whatever. That's gone now. So wh- wh- how do these sort of how do these sort of meetings go? Are they, are they sort of long affairs? Or how sort of democratic are they? I would say they're
1: long affairs in so much as we've got a lot going on at the mm. moment. Um, but in terms of politics, there's. I've not experienced any, anything of that side mm. on the board we have Jason Ferguson who we've spoken about already in his little introduction um, Nigel Moore is the vice chairman um, he plays a huge role in respect to the disability side, the governance side um,
0: and then we have Jan Verhas obviously who is yeah. recently appointed. It's been, it's been a year of uh, unexpected election victories and that was one of them. I mean Jan, yeah, because Jan, yeah. the great guy Jan, but I think a few years ago it, a, it wouldn't be an outstanding sort of candidate as a politician he wouldn't necessarily put himself forward but he has done and he's going to look after the, the sort of refereeing aspects I'm sure it'll be a bit more popular than some of the victors we've seen recently <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but he's got a huge
1: role to play um, mm-hmm. and working with him we can yeah, publicise how people can become referees um, we couldn't do it without them and <laughs> as Rob Walker always says <laughs> <laughs> and it's not just in the UK and mm. yeah, obviously he's not from the UK so we can we um, can there 's a huge part to play in attracting new referees to the sport we 've seen a number of them over the last few years at european Tour events um, many of those now are still continuing to be involved um,
0: and it 's going to be exciting to see what he can bring to the um, to the party players' forum uh, is another sort of side part of this, and you hear sometimes i mean players uh, some players anyway um, Will tell you that oh it's no point going to that no one will listen but it is there for them isn't it I mean that's the idea that's there sort of forum to go and air grievances
1: yeah definitely I think you know changes maybe a foot on that front in terms of how the um, the, the forum works going forward which will probably be um, you know uh, decided over the next few um, weeks before, by the time this podcast is is made available but um, yeah in principle the Players' forum exists for the players to meet to their views together and to communicate these to the board, then Jason's job, he's not only chairman of the WPBSA but he is on the World Snooker Board as well he's there to represent the WPBSA and uh, ultimately to represent our players, mm-hmm. so if the players do get together and communicate through the right channels then there's no reason that their views won't be heard, in terms of the right channels um, you know, we, we, we see a lot on Twitter at the moment and it's great to see the players personalities on Twitter and social media in general but it's also important that certain things perhaps are communicated the right way.
0: I guess though to defend the players for a minute a lot of them would say okay we can go to the players forum, we can put our, all our points to Jason but the sport is run by Barry Herm and Barry, what Barry says goes, I mean this shootout thing, he's one of the very few people I've met who actually thinks it's a good idea so they might say well yeah we can go through all these channels but if Barry says it's going to be like this, it's like this. I guess that's the um, <laughs> it's a fair point but
1: there are changes that have come about as a result of the players forum for example some of the draw structures we've seen this season at one to 8 events um, have moved more towards a tennis system mm. so where you've had I think the German Masters the European Masters you've had the top 32 seeded everyone else sort of in at random mm. it's perhaps not being publicised widely but that was as a result of a suggestion by the players forum so it's not a case that the players forum are ignored um, Barry does listen to them and there is evidence that they can make a
0: difference. And what is the general sort of relationship like between World Snooker and the WPBSA? Because I think Barry's attitude is, it's not that he doesn't care about all the things we talked about, but he's very much focused on the commercial aspects of professional snooker and he's happy to leave all of this to Jason. But how do the two sides sort of work together? Very well, I mean, from my perspective, we have,
1: uh, I work with Ivan, um, who is the press officer for for World Snooker. He's um, obviously he's not of my contemporary there. He's been there a lot long, longer than I have. He's but been there forever. Yeah, it seems like it. He hasn't aged. No, no. no. <laughs> but um, you know, we work very well together. We liaise together. Um, whenever there's a ranking question, Weltanuke will come to me. Whenever I need one of our projects, mm-hmm. given a bit of a leg up, I will go to Ivan. So there's great synergy there. And um, in terms of the boardroom, um, Jason represents our interests very strongly, very robustly. And um, from what from everything I've seen, um, both bodies appear to work very well together.
0: Okay, so a year on then from making the move, you're glad you did it?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, mm. yeah it's a, it's a very different life, but um, well, I, I say it's
0: very different. It's it's kind of not, but it's um, it's the other side though. You're on. I guess yeah. so you're looking at it from the other other point of view. Actually, you're now inside the governing body. Yeah. You see how it all works. Exactly. It's the I, th- I think it's. I don't know if it's unique, but it's
1: as you described earlier. I've been fan, spectator, mm. watching on TV, to going to venues, to blogging, to I, I've seen it from all sides. So I, I like to think I bring that to the party. That I've when I can think of the spectator's point of view, I can think of the players' point of view. I've got a good relationship with many of the players, mm. and um, it's, it's it's been an incredible journey. But as I say, it's it's only just the beginning,
0: and it's exciting to think where we're going to be. One year, five years from now. OK, Matt, well, thank you. And uh, we'll talk again in a year when you're chairman. (laughs) Don't tell Jason that. (laughs) Cheers. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.